2 Peter uh, chapter 1 in your Bible and looking at verses 5 through 11 here in a moment. Um, what we're going to look at tonight is for the Christian who is looking or wanting to take that next step in their faith and in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I figure if you're here on a Sunday evening service that you take the things of God, you take the word of God, you take your Christian life seriously to be here morning and night on a Sunday and give your whole day to the Lord. But if you're here and you say, well, I've been saved for X amount of years, whether you've been saved 10, 15, 25, 30, 40 years, and I don't need to take that next step to grow. Let me remind you, I read a story while preparing for this. It says there was an old farmer who often described his Christian experience by saying, well, I'm not making much progress, but I can tell you this, I'm established. And one spring, when he was hauling some logs, his wagon wheels sank down to the axles in the mud. And as he sat there viewing the situation that he was in, and man, obviously not a good situation to be there stuck in the mud, a neighbor who had always felt uncomfortable with his testimony about being established, I'm not growing, but I'm established, he called out and said, well, Brother Jones, I see you're not making much progress, but hey, you're established, so you're good. And I think a lot of times Christians can have the same attitude, hey, I don't need to grow, I'm established. But like we talked about this morning, the sanctification process, renewing your mind daily to become like Jesus Christ. And we live in a day where more than ever, as Christians, we need to be growing in our, hey, if you're not growing in your Christian faith, then you're dying. There's really no in-between. Look what the Bible says about uh, a lukewarm Christian, something that Jesus, a lukewarm church, is not fond of. And you're either growing in your Christian life, you have a vibrant walk with God, you're praying, yeah, you mess up, yeah, you're not perfect, you're trying, or you're dying. But we all need to be striving to grow in grace and to be more like Jesus Christ. But if you're familiar with any kind of sports or really any kind of uh, hobby, I guess you could say, or... or um, I'm trying to think of a word, but we'll, we'll go with sports for right now. If you're familiar with any kind of sports, you realize how skilled you have to be in that particular sport in order to play at a professional level. Whether it's football, whether it's baseball, whether it's tennis, whether it's basketball, you don't just pick up a bat and glove one day or pick up a football and you're in the NFL or you're in the major leagues. No, it's years of practice. It's years of dedication. It takes hours and months of preparation so that you can be in shape, so that you can prime yourself to play sports at a professional level. I look at an athlete, for example, and uh, not a fan of him, but you can't, you can't uh, not say that he's good as Tom Brady, quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, and won, what, five Super Bowl rings, been in how many Super Bowls? I mean, you look at that guy and you study how he works out and his diet plan and what he eats and how he's so careful and he wears certain clothes when he sleeps because it helps his body so that he's more flexible when he's playing. I mean, crazy things that he goes above and beyond so that he can play professionally. You think of musicians and how, how much they practice and how much they plan and, and the hours and hours of hard work and preparation that it takes to advance their careers and to play in big shows. But my point this morning is you don't just wake up and be skilled at any hobby or any walk in life. It takes growth. It takes hard work. You have to decide on purpose that you're going to grow and take the next step. And so how more so does that apply in our Christian life? 
If you're a saved believer this evening for only a week or 30 years, as I mentioned, we need to be growing in our Christian life. We need to be becoming more like Jesus on a daily basis, growing in grace, taking the next step, strengthening in our relationship with God. Now, before we jump into first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 here, you might be saying, well, why? Why do I need to become more like Jesus Christ? Why do I need to be adding to my faith? Why do I need to take that next step? Why do I need to grow? Well, just a few things. You study the Bible and you look, well, number one, to be an effective Christian with our families, with our relationships, whether, you're, whether you work, to be an effective Christian, a Christian that shines, a Christian that makes a difference, to strengthen in your walk and your relationship with God. And I think also to enjoy eternal rewards, becoming more like Jesus Christ, preparing for what is the eternal and not so focused on the temporal and what's in front of you. Pastor talks about how we want to be striving because a lot of Christians, they're, they're not focused on the internal. We're focused on, our, on, our, on what's here in front of us and our bank accounts now, and that's good and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to have an eternal perspective sometimes of how, what it's going to be like in heaven. And so these are all things and all reasons why we need to be growing. But 2 Peter chapter 1, notice the first thing, though, that it says in verse 5. It says, and beside this, giving all diligence, the first phrase is, add to your faith. And stop right there. Because before you can take the next step, you need to take the first step. And the first step is having and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing you're saved. Knowing there's a home in heaven. Man, it, may, it breaks my heart to think about how oftentimes in church we talk about this, about salvation and about being saved, and there's Christians who come to church every single week, maybe their whole lives, and never truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're in it for the routine, they're in it because it's comfortable, they're in it because it's what their parents did, and they're in it just because it's what we've always done, but there's no vibrant walk with God. They've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so before you can, like we said this morning, be sanctified and become like Christ, you need to be justified. You need to go through that justification process and make sure that you're saved. But then he says this. He goes on and he says to add to your faith certain virtues. Now, can I remind you this morning, or this evening, sorry, before we jump into these virtues and look at them, that true virtue and growth in the Christian life is not polishing human qualities, no matter how fine they may be. Now, that's important. It's not about polishing qualities in our human life so that we can be better people, no. But it's about producing divine qualities that make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. It's not about, I'm going to work at doing this. It's a good human quality, and I want to polish it to be a better person. No, it's about producing divine qualities to make me more like Jesus. And that's the goal here tonight. That's the goal for every believer, to become more like Jesus Christ. So what's the first thing Peter mentions? He says, add to your faith, number one, virtue. Virtue. Virtue can be defined in this case in context as moral excellence. Moral excellence. It's interesting. That's the first thing he says. Add to your faith, virtue. You want to become more like Jesus Christ? Add virtue. Moral excellence. It doesn't take a genius to look around at our world and see what's going on and see how we have fallen. Our moral compass is really, there's really no compass anymore for, for morality. I mean, the things that go on in our world and the shows that they're publishing and the, and the things and agendas they push, we talked about this morning, man, it has fallen so far 
And Peter says, hey, you want to become more like Jesus Christ, add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. The things that most of our kids and teenagers are exposed to at such an early age that years ago we would never come across until we were adults. Our society and world has morally declined at a rapid pace. And as Christians, if we're going to grow, if we're going to go through that sanctification process, we're going to take the next step in our faith, we must strive to be morally excellent in everything that we do, in the jokes that we tell, moral excellence, in the movies that we watch, moral excellence, in the music that we listen to, in our conversation, and how we talk to coworkers, and how we talk to our spouse, and how we talk to our kids, moral excellence, becoming like Jesus Christ and having virtue. We need to be pure and holy and morally excellent. Do we have a heart and an appetite for things that are virtuous and excellent? What does the Bible say in 1 Peter 1.16? It says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. If we're going to be like Jesus Christ, yes, we're human. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to fall flat on our face every single day. But the point here tonight is getting back up and striving in your life. Hey, I want to be more like Jesus Christ. I want to grow in my Christian faith. I want to add to my faith. Then the first step Peter talks about is being morally excellent. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue. That's a very hard thing sometimes. Hey, how about this? In the way you react to people, moral excellence. That's hard, especially when you're driving and the person's going so slow in front of you and stops at a yellow light. You could have clearly made through. It's hard to be morally excellent at that point. When the Yankees are getting killed, it's hard to be morally excellent. But as a Christian, it is so important that if we're going to grow and be like Jesus Christ, we must have moral excellence. We must have virtue. What does he say next? Look in your Bible, verse 5. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Knowledge. What is Peter talking about here by saying adding knowledge? When you read 2 Peter and the book of Jude, you see that there were leaders at this time that were preaching and promoting that how you live did not have much to do with what you believed, which obviously we know is wrong. And, and Peter is saying, hey, if you want to take the next step in your Christian life, if you want to grow in grace and have spiritual maturity in your life, then add knowledge. Knowledge is knowing God in a sense that you are willing to pattern your life after Jesus Christ. The more you get to know God, the more you realize you need him in every aspect of your life. Did you spend any time this week getting to know God, gaining your knowledge for God? I am preaching on myself how oftentimes I spend my week and I've gained more knowledge in politics, in the upcoming election, in sports, in their playoffs, in, in, in my work, but I've spent little to no time in gaining my knowledge to know God. And if I'm going to become more like Jesus Christ, if I'm going to add to my faith, if I'm going to go through that sanctification process, yes, virtue, but knowledge, knowing God. In the Bible, gaining knowledge isn't gathering facts like a computer, but rather gathering godly truth for your self-betterment. God wants to help you in life. So, for example, 4 plus 4 equals 8. Okay, that makes me smarter. But learning to love our neighbor and to pray for our enemies like God wants us to, that makes me better. That makes me more like Jesus Christ. It makes me stronger. It makes mature Christians. And one thing 
that we see in our world around and in Christianity is there's a lack of mature Christians. There's a lack of Christians that go through that sanctification process to get to know God. A lot of shallow Christianity that's preached and that's taught and that's promoted in our country. And we need right now, yes, Christians who stand and shine like we said this morning, but we need mature Christians who are anchored in their relationship with God, who are anchored in the word of God. True joy and peace and happiness and contentment can only be found in knowing him. And so Peter says, add virtue, be morally excellent in how you act in your behavior. Have knowledge, get to know God, get to know the things of God. Dive in and do Bible studies. You know, it shouldn't be that pastor on Wednesdays is, yes, I love what he does, and he breaks down the chapters and, and teaches it to us, but that should not be our only time of Bible study and gaining Bible knowledge. We should have regular routines as Christians if we're going to grow and be like Jesus, where we sit down and we study the Bible for ourselves, where we open it and say, God, show me truth to make me a better person, to make me more like you. What's your routine? What's your routine tomorrow when you wake up? Is there any routine? Is there any Bible reading plan? Is there any prayer list? Is there any knowledge throughout your week to get to know God? Well, if you're going to add to your faith, you need virtue, but you need knowledge. Notice what he says, number three. Add your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. Temperance. That can be defined as spiritual discipline. Having the spiritual discipline to not go overboard on the certain, certain things in your life. Okay, for example, the easy example is sin. Is there sin in your life? Is there a besetting sin that you struggle with? Is there addiction that you struggle with? And to be honest, if we're all honest tonight, and we're, and we're not trying to put on a show, if we're all honest and we evaluate our hearts and our minds, we all have sin we struggle with. We all have addictions. You don't have to come to, to argue with Brother Fred to, to have an addiction. We all have addictions. We all have sin in our life, if we're being honest. And the Bible says, add temperance, add spiritual discipline. What sits on the throne of your heart tonight? Is it God? Is he the preeminence in your life? Is he the preeminence in your family? What sits on the throne? And then there's non-things, or non-sin things that you enjoy. There's nothing wrong with sports and careers and working hard, but do they take ownership in your life? You see, temperance is having a spiritual discipline to say, okay, I'm going to put away sin. These things are good, but I'm going to control them. There's a schedule. There's a time for them. But the main thing, my main focus, what's on the throne in my heart, what's the center of my life, is Jesus Christ, is my walk with him, is knowing his word and knowing him at a personal level. So he says, add virtue, add knowledge, add temperance. Temperance, again, living like him, living for him and sharing him and knowing him. But then he says this, and to temperance, patience. Patience. That's a hard one. Patience is a hard one, especially when you're seeking God's will for your life. Patience can be very, very hard. Talking to teenagers, talking to, 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 young, to young adults that, that are here tonight. Patience. I, I was talking, having a conversation with Joe actually a few weeks ago. We were driving together and talking about how in your 20s, man, it's a time of patience. The Lord's really works in your heart and really is showing you things and really humbles you and really sets you back for a little bit. And say, hey, just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. But man, a mature Christian has patience. A mature Christian that's like Jesus Christ has patience, and that can be hard. The definition, the state of endurance or contentment through the situations and circumstances of life without violating the other virtues that God has commanded us to do. 
Listen to that again. The state of endurance or contentment through situations and circumstances of life without violating the other virtues God has commanded us to do. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. God, I'm not going to try to take matters into my own hand, which so many times as Christians we try to do. I trust you, and I'm going to be patient that you're going to see me through this storm that I'm going through. You're going to see me through this situation. You're going to see me through this battle. I'm going to wait on the Lord, as the Bible says. Difficulties and trials of life, not murmuring, not complaining, not quitting, but trusting and leaning completely on God, just being patient and trusting in him. Man, I can't think of a better example of this than a few years ago with Pastor Tom Bish and, and his wife who was diagnosed with cancer. And man, to see that year go, as you could see, she, she was slowly uh, coming to the point where she was, just wasn't going to make it anymore. And you watch Pastor Bish and, and Mrs. Bish, I believe that year they stood here and they preached at camp meeting and kept saying, God is good. God is good. God is good and happy and patient and trusting the Lord. Hey, that's a mature Christian. That's mature Christianity, to have patience and to trust and faith in the Lord when you're going through trials and when you're going through things that, hey, life throws at you. Patience. Notice this, though, he says, and to patience, godliness. Godliness. Godliness can be defined as a Godward attitude. Is the essential goal of your life temporal? Success, money, big houses, fancy things. Again, nothing wrong with any of that. But godliness as we mentioned earlier, is focusing on the eternal. Things that will matter past this world. Most of you know the story in the Gospels of the rich man and, uh, and the poor man who's knocking at his door and begging him for food and begging him for food and the rich man rejects him and, and eventually the Bible says that the poor beggar dies and, and uh, he goes to Abraham's bosom and the rich man dies and he goes to hell. And while he's in hell, he's burning, and, he, and he, he has a different perspective on life as he burns in hell. And he, and he reaches out, and he, he looks, and he can see the poor beggar in heaven, and he's saying, hey, just put your finger on my tongue just so can I have some relief from the pain that's going on here. Just, just a dip of water on my tongue, please. And obviously not able to do so, but then his next request when you read the story says, go tell my family and go tell my friends how they can avoid this place at all costs. Why? Because it took that man to burn in hell to all of a sudden have an eternal perspective on things. He wasn't worried about the eternal goals or the eternal where he was going to be for the rest of his life while he was on earth investing in his big house and his money and his business. But while he was burning in hell, all of a sudden it gave him an eternal perspective. And the truth here and the thought here tonight is sometimes as Christians, the man who's burning in hell has a passion for souls more than Christians who are sitting right here in the pew tonight. A greater passion. Because they see the eternal. They see what's to come. And as Christians, we, we, we are coming to the last days. You read the Bible. Who, who knows how long it could be? It could be any moment. And we need to have that sense of urgency. We need to have that Godward attitude that says, I need to invest in the eternal. There's a family member who doesn't know the Lord. I need to witness to them. There's somebody who's saved and they've fallen out of church. I need to pray for them. I need to have a Godward attitude towards everything in my life. And not look at what's going on as just temporary, but instead trying to look past the temporal and see things the way God sees them, the eternal perspective, the Godward attitude. Godliness requires a devoutness to God. It's, it's not a part-time job. It takes a mature Christian to step back and say, man, that's a godly 
man, that's a godly woman. That's a godly teenager. That takes a mature Christian to come to that point. Loving the Lord, walking with him, knowing him. Godliness. Notice this, number six, he says, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. And these last two can be tough. (laughs) Brotherly kindness. Do you receive others the way that Christ has received you? Do you treat your fellow Christians with love and respect? Not judging, condescending, gossiping, murmuring. No, brotherly kindness is a sign of spiritual growth and maturity. And I find that it's so interesting that in this passage, Peter puts these as the last two. Brotherly kindness, and we're going to talk about charity. Why? Because I think they're the toughest. It's easy to love somebody that's in our family or somebody that's good to us. But do we treat everybody equal? And that's where he goes right there in number seven, charity. He says in the brotherly kindness, charity. Charity is more than just love. It's a mindset of good-heartedness towards others that's not dependent on whether I love them or not. Now stick with me, because this is convicting and powerful. Two people in your life. One, a family member you love, that you do anything for, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. And then, another person who has wronged you, who has wronged your family, who has hurt you, who has abandoned you, who has done things in your life that should so hard to forgive and even created some bitterness in your heart and in your mind. And you know what charity does? Charity takes the family member who you love that you do anything for that's up here and takes the person that's wronged you and that you don't even want to look at down here and charity levels the playing field. That's a hard one. Charity levels the playing field. I'm going to treat that person like I would treat that person. I'm going to have an attitude that I have for this person that I would have towards that person. It extends love to people beyond those who are easy to love or who we like. And that's how Jesus, when you look in the Gospels, he was no respecter of persons. Jesus was constantly going out to reach the, se- the less fortunate, to reach the one who was troubled, to reach the widows, to reach the, to reach the sick, to reach out to them and to help them. Hey, that's how Jesus was. And if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to make a difference in our families, if we're going to make a difference in our generation, if we're going to be a church that's effective, if we're going to be a Christian that's effective, then we need to have charity and level the playing field. Love people no matter what they do, no matter how they treat you, no matter how they act towards you, because that's what Jesus would do. And that's easy. That's not easy. That doesn't happen overnight. But through prayer and through the, spirit, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can attain that. Now, in conclusion tonight, I want you to read the last three verses. As Peter says, all these virtues that we need to add to our faith to go through sanctification, to become more like Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll stop right there before we read the next few verses. But I don't know about you tonight. But if I'm going to live for the Lord, if I'm going to dedicate my life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to surrender to his will for my life, if you're going to be saved and a dedicated Christian, then I would assume you're in the same boat as I say, I don't want to be an unfruitful Christian. I don't want to waste time. 
I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to go around and just live in a comfortable bubble of coming to church and being in a routine and, and going through all this just because it's what we do and it makes me feel good and I never want to take that next step. No, I want to be a fruitful Christian. I want God to, see, to use me to see souls saved, to see people in church, to see visitors on Sunday morning, to see families rear towards righteousness, to have a good marriage, to raise children in the right way, to be a fruitful Christian. And right here in Peter, he says in verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. If you're following and going through that sanctification process, if you're adding to your faith, if you're striving to be more like Jesus Christ, you'll be a fruitful Christian. There's no doubt about it. Verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I think verse 9 describes a, a lot of Christians, unfortunately. They're saved. They forgot that their sins were forgiven. But they come in church and they sit there every Sunday. And man, they haven't seen a soul saved. They haven't seen any fruit in their family, in their life, in years. And they just sit there unbarren, not doing anything for God. Hey, I don't care who you are tonight. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you're going through. You can do something to make an impact for Jesus Christ. You can pass out a tract. You can pray. You can do something to be a fruitful Christian. But it starts with following these steps. Verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I believe every believer here tonight wants to grow in their faith. You want to take that next step. That's why you're here. Ask God to show you and to guide you how you can take that next step. Now we just flew through, what was it, seven virtues in Second Peter that probably you could preach a whole sermon on just one of those. But ask God to pinpoint tonight one of those. One of those that you can work on. Patience. Maybe it's virtue. Maybe it's brotherly kindness or charity, something that you can hone in and focus on. Hey, if you're serious about growing, if you're serious about becoming more like Jesus Christ, hone in on one of those things this week. Ask God to help you. Ask God to, to, not, to soften your hardened heart and to become more like him. You can't tackle and perfect all of these things at once, but you can take one and you can take that next step. And here's the good news. When you take that next step, it means you're growing. Amen. You're heading in the right direction rather than just staying put and eventually dying. And you know what happens in, Christ in Christianity? When you die spiritually, dad, your children will die spiritually most of the time. Mom, husband, wife, it affects others than just you. Strive to be more like Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about at the end of the day being more like Jesus Christ, going through that sanctification process and adding to your faith.